Commonwealth. This is the Sports Huddle with Bob Black on 1061 ESPN. We're also streaming live at ESPNRichmond.com and on the iHeartRadio app. Call in and talk with Bob anytime at 327-0888. Now, here's Bob Black with the Sports Huddle on 1061 ESPN. 72 points, the most ever scored in an NFL game in 66 by the Washington Redskins in the regular season. Oh, here he goes with blockers ahead. Wilson with the block. Now they can get a field goal and break the all-time record if they'd like. That'll do it. You're going to see the handshake between the coaches here. This will be interesting. And Sean Payton... Classy move by both men. Well, as much as Kevin Harlan wanted that field goal to be kicked so that he could be the play-by-play broadcaster for a record-setting performance, the Miami Dolphins settled for a 70-20 to victory. Yes, you heard it right, a 70-20 to victory over the Denver Broncos. It's part of a wild Sunday in the NFL, but nothing was more double-taking wild than the Miami Dolphins. Our guy, Robert Oley's Miami Dolphins, putting 70 on the board against the Broncos, and as the cliche goes, it wasn't even as close as the scoreboard made it look, and they could have made it 73 if they'd wanted to do it, but fortunately... The Dolphins didn't do that. There's no sense rubbing it in any more than that. And Mike McDaniel told his offense, just take a knee and run out the clock. But that's something you just don't see every day. I was out watching several games at the same time yesterday. And truthfully, the Miami-Denver game wasn't overly high on my list as I was watching other simultaneous games come down the stretch, and even still keeping my eye on the commanders to see if they would even nary score a point in their game. But you couldn't help but look at what the Dolphins were doing in that game against the Broncos. And I guess Sean Payton doesn't know what he signed up for here because right now it looks like he's bit off way more than he can chew at this point. And I still think Russell Wilson, despite – What our good friend Espo told me last week, that he's still got gas in the tank. I'm just not sure he does. I realize yesterday is not really a game that you can judge anybody upon offensively for the Denver Broncos because the game got out of hand so quickly, particularly by halftime and in the second half. And let's just give all the credit to Miami, shall we? Tua goes 23 of 26. 309 yards and four touchdowns. His offensive line doesn't put a speck of dirt or grass on him. Didn't even come close to being sacked. Didn't throw an interception. Threw a no-look touchdown pass. Uh, The rookie, Devon A-Chain, 18 carries, 203 yards. 203 yards and two touchdowns. And Raheem Mostert, 13 carries, 82 yards and three touchdowns. And then, oh, yeah, Tyreek Hill caught nine passes for 157 at a touchdown. And Devon A-Chain had two more touchdowns receiving for Miami. Uh, what an offensive slugfest for the now 3-0 and Miami Dolphins. What a great way for them to celebrate their home opener yesterday down in Miami. 
And I'll tell you what, there are a couple of NFL teams who should feel very happy about the Denver Broncos because otherwise we could be trashing them the same way that we're trashing the Broncos today because there were some blowout games. Like the Chicago Bears have to be pretty happy that Miami put 70 up on Denver because Kansas City and Patrick Mahomes could have done the same thing against the Bears. It wound up 41-10. to And then there's the Jaguars. you got to be kidding me. Not only do they lose to the lowly Houston Texans, but they give up 37. And then last but certainly not least, because we're going to talk much more about them today and in just a couple of moments and in the next segment and for a good portion of the rest of the afternoon, AJ, yes, we are. The Buffalo Bills put 37 on the board against the Commanders. Now, look, this was still relatively competitive at the end of the half and at the end of three quarters. It was only 16 to nothing, and then the commanders just waved the white flag. They let Sam Howell get sacked time after time after nine times. They let him throw four picks, and if it wasn't for a wasted field goal at the end, it would have been a shutout. 37-3, to A.J., in a game lest I remind you that Ron Rivera called a litmus test for the Washington Commanders. Give them a big, fat F in trying to pass that litmus test, AJ. That was embarrassing. Mm-hmm. I don't use that word very often when it comes to athletic contests, but I think I'm on the verge of doing it in those three games, in all three of them yesterday, and certainly in the Bills-Commanders game, at FedEx with another sellout crowd trying to take steps in the right direction, and they were a big, fat dud. I I was painting when you text me. I had planned on watching the second half. I was busy. I was painting. And when you text me what you did, I was like, what? And then I looked, and I was like, oh, I'm not even going to look at it. I really thought you were going to get your wish yesterday that Jacoby Brissett was going to come into that game. But I get why Ron Rivera kept Howell in the game, other than the fact he almost got him killed, because that was worse than Swiss cheese along that offensive line, which has been a major question mark for the commanders all along, and it certainly raised its ugly head yesterday. I think you might have considered getting him out of there in the fourth quarter when he was bruised and battered and beaten and en route to nine quarterback sacks. That's a tough lesson for the young man to absorb. 19 of 29, 170 yards, four interceptions, and nine sacks. We will see how he bounces back from that. But I'm waiting with great anticipation, AJ, because before we go on the air, we have a very short but high-quality pre-show production meeting, and you said I've got this rant that I want to get to today. As Andy Reid, the head coach of the Super Bowl champion Kansas City Chiefs, would say to the media when he does press conferences, the time is yours. Well, mostly, you know what? I decided to alter the rant and give you two hard questions. In The rant will be broke up in both questions. Okay. Question number one. <laughs> what is the difference between 70 and 73? Three, mathematically. Stop. But I don't think you kick the field goal in that situation. I just don't think you got to let that kind of happen naturally within the course of the game rather than force-feeding it 
I think he would have um, created a lot more ill will than it was worth just to say that we got this scoring record. So I think he did absolutely the right thing, and you move on. All right, but here's my thing, though. Then do it when you have 63 or, you know, like – when when is it okay and not okay? It was it, they were murdered. They were kicking the dead horse constantly already. You should have just gotten a record. If it came as a touchdown and with your second and third string in there, kind of running the ball, they were. not do it. But but I mean but I mean don't kick a field goal. That that's what, you have that choice to kick or not kick the field goal. If you have the ball offensively, you know, other than just taking a knee on every play, which is just as embarrassing, just run your normal offense and whatever happens, happens. You know what I'm saying? Like even on fourth down, run your normal offense or take the knee to run out the clock, whether the score was 70 to 20 or 35 to 20, and you just wanted the game to end. I don't think you kick a, I don't think any coach right. in the NFL – I really don't. I don't think any coach in the oh, NFL why. would have kicked a field goal in that kit, in that situation. Oh, Bill Belichick would have. No, I don't think so. I think he has too much respect for the game and for his opponent. I, I disagree with that. I don't think he would have at all. All right. Well, here's the major bone I have to pick. <laughs> okay. All right. Yes. The Denver Broncos. I had to go online. I'm I'm going to swear off all media here coming up. I had to go online, and all I saw was knocking Russell Wilson and Russell Wilson this. By the way, he was the best player in a Broncos uniform, number one. And number two, I didn't know he was playing defense. Yeah, that's a pretty easy comeback for you there. And look, you and I might not get along for the next hour and 50 minutes because I'm down on Russell Wilson. I told you that after they played the Commanders and then Espo called and said, wait a minute, I knew him when he was a collegiate. He's a great guy and he's still got gas left in the tank and all of this. I'm not sure. I'm not convinced of that. Now, you know, his numbers are his numbers from yesterday. You can almost just throw them away because the game was right. so ridiculous. But And I didn't I didn't watch that closely. I truthfully was watching the Commanders game. I was watching the Lions-Falcons game. Uh, got to watching the Packers game, which were certainly all more interesting. Russell Wilson, 23 of 38 for 306, a touchdown. An interception, and he was sacked once. I would call it kind of a pedestrian performance in a game in which you couldn't judge anybody for the Broncos. Well, no, you're so I don't want to argue with you on that. I agree with you 100%. I saw throws by Russell Wilson that made it look like a rookie. Um, there's a lot going on with him, and he probably will not start at the end of the year. But having said that, how does the entire internet? destroy Russell Wilson more than any I guess maybe Sean Payton but but that defense did not show up and and I just don't understand why I, this is this is the problem with with our polarized nation is we have these targets we have these easy designated targets and so everybody who did not watch the game which is most people are just getting online and just bashing Russell Wilson. And it's like there was a lot more to bash about the Broncos than Russell Wilson. I would argue he was the best player in a Broncos uniform. Push pause on this, and we'll get back to it in a little bit. But my succinct suggestion to you would be make sure you understand the difference between social media and media. I think it's a major difference. And I would say the media covering the Denver Broncos – 
was probably constructively critical of Russell Wilson, but not the way social media was, and certainly attacked the other areas that you also attacked, meaning Denver's defense and just lack of competitiveness in that game. Pause on that one. We have another bad team to talk about, or at least another team that played a bad game yesterday. That would be the Washington Commanders. They are part of our River City Rundown. Here's what's coming up on today's sports huddle. This is a huge fan of sports. This is the River City Rundown. Brought to you by the Richmond chapter of the American Red Cross. Your help is needed for the Red Cross to continue to be on call for local or national emergencies. To learn how you can volunteer or donate blood, visit redcross.org. Boy, you can kind of tell it's a Monday because we're going to go kind of in the negative direction on a lot of things today football related here in our neck of the woods right after the break scott allen from the washington post is going to join us covering the commanders from yesterday we'll talk about everything that ailed them in the lopsided loss to the denver broncos he's coming up next in the five o'clock hour at five thirty. mike barber from the richmond times dispatch richmond.com everything that went wrong with virginia and you talk about having a rant i'm gonna rant on Virginia when I get a chance. And I'm not even a huge Virginia fan, but there were so many things in that game that if I'm a Virginia fan, it's leaving me shaking my head right now that just cannot be happening to a college football team, and it's why they're 0-4. Mike Barber joins us at 5.30 to talk more about that. We'll get into Virginia Tech losing. We'll get into really good wins by Richmond, William and Mary, and especially James Madison that went all the way out west and made it three in a row on the road by knocking off Utah State. All of that and much more coming up on the Monday Sports Auto. Matt's off today, so no Monday mashup. I think we might try to do it tomorrow. I got a very special guest coming tomorrow in the 4 o'clock hour, so we may have to tweak some things around, and I'll tell you about that during the course of the show today as well. But for the time being, Scott Allen from the Washington Post joins us to talk Commanders football next on the Sports Auto. Betting advice? He's got it. Hot takes? He's got plenty. Love for your favorite team? Well, you'll just have to tune in weekday afternoons from 3 to 4 for Border to Border with Matt Joseph to find out how he feels on 1061 ESPN Richmond. Bob Black back with you. Sports Auto continues the Monday afternoon edition, 1061 ESPN. Of course, we do a lot of Monday afternoon quarterbacking on Mondays, especially during the college and NFL football season, and we'll do some of that as we move along in this segment and throughout the rest of the show as well. All right, let's talk some commanders, as promised in the first segment, kind of held off at the open of the show because I know Scott Allen was coming up with us from the Washington Post here in the second segment of the program. Scott, good afternoon. Thanks for spending some time with us. Yeah, absolutely. So Ron Rivera, as he has done with Crossroads games before in advance, has said, you know, this will be a litmus test game for us. He has done this before, and his team has not fared well. It happened again yesterday with the 37-3 loss to Buffalo. So let me start by going forward before we go back. With that as kind of the backdrop, what does this mean for the Washington football team now? I think big picture, you know, looking at the schedule at the start of the year, if you would have said that Washington would be 2-1 and one heading into a week four game at Philadelphia, I think you'd take that. I think that's kind of the best-case scenario, given that they were going to Denver. Um, 
the Broncos obviously don't look so good right now, but then <laughs> the Bills lost at home. I think that's something that a lot of people expected going in. So two and one. Um, if you're just looking at the record, I think you're, you're feeling okay. But obviously the way things unraveled on Sunday, the way Sam Howe looked against the Bills, it, it, it colors it a little bit. Um, <laughs> you, you can't feel good so much going into Philadelphia, but, but they're in a decent spot. Everything's in front of them. Um, after the Eagles, the schedule gets a little bit easier, obviously, with the, with the Bears coming to town for a Thursday night. So, Scott, this game is relatively competitive at the end of three quarters. Yeah. It's still 16 to nothing. <laughs> but having said that, how concerned are you and people offensively that that was still a goose egg on the board, even though it unraveled defensively in the fourth quarter? Yeah, it, it was crazy to look up after – I mean, the defense played okay, as you kind of alluded to. 16 points through three quarters against the Bills is is, is pretty darn good, and they get a big fourth down stop um, on fourth and one in, in Washington Territory when Deron Payne knocks that ball down. They get the ball back, and then, of course, Antonio Gibson fumbles it right away on the next snap. Um, but even at 16 nothing. Given the way that the offensive played, they had that one drive where they turned the ball over on downs on the two. You didn't get the sense that Washington was going to manage to get two scores and a pair of two-point conversions and pull off a comeback anything close to like they did against Denver last week. I think it's a huge concern. I mean, Sam Howell coming off his best game as a pro played by far his worst. I mean, one of the worst games by a starter here in Washington in years. Um, and It was a lot of the same issues that I think people expected or worried about coming into the year in terms of protection from the offensive line. But, but a lot of those sacks, nine, nine total in the game, were not on the O-line. I mean, Sam Howell, he's, he's shown a propensity for, for holding onto the ball a little bit too long, and then he kind of compounded that mistake yesterday by, by locking onto his first read and, and trying to force some throws that he shouldn't have. And, and that resulted in the four picks. So it's kind of back to the drawing board with this big game against the Eagles coming up for, for Eric Bieniemy and the offense. So, Scott, I feel like everybody kind of said the right thing about that after the game, Rivera, Bieniemy, others, mm-hmm. that, hey, we knew we were going to have to live with a young quarterback, and we knew our shortcomings at offensive line, and we're going we're gonna to kind of plow forward. Do you think inside the facility – those are the same comments being made, or to your point just a moment ago, there is some talk of some major tweaking going on offensively. I think any all of the tweaking is, I mean, based on what Ron Rivera said today, someone asked him, you know, based on just chatter on, on sports radio and elsewhere, maybe on social media from fans, like, do after a performance like that, do you give any thought to, you know, going to Jacoby Brissett, or at least is, is the leash getting tighter on on Sam Howell. And, and Rivera, he didn't even really answer the question, but he made his, his point very clear. He said, you know, Sam Howell's 3-1 and one as, our, as our starter, um, implying that they have no intent of, of making a quarterback change anytime soon. And I think that's the right move. I think, you know, internally they've been vague about, you know, we got to look at the tape and, you know, how do we resolve the nine sacks and the pass rush issues in terms of what they do. Um, but I think internally they have to be talking about, you know, they've got all sorts of options. You can keep another guy back and, and to protect. Um, you can – they got the screen, screen game going against the Broncos, but they haven't involved too many wide receivers in that 
short, quick passing game so far. Um, and then another option um, that I think a lot of people have been calling for is maybe you try to get Brian Robinson, Brian Robinson Jr. involved a little bit earlier. Um, only five carries in the first half. We've seen in, in all three weeks he's, he's really come on in the second half, but there's been this huge uh, imbalance between the pass and the run um, so far. Hey, Scott, what do you make defensively then, and particularly come the fourth quarter when obviously the defense was worn down at that yeah. point? But 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 how concerning, giving up 21 points in the fourth quarter is, you know, is this a team that's running out of gas already? Yeah, the, the offense put them in some yeah. really, really bad mm-hmm. spots uh, mm-hmm. with, with the short fields, not able to – to sustain drives. Um, I think the most concerning thing for the defense, and it's something that they had really excelled at, um, really dating back to last season, was was an inability to get off the field uh, against the Bills. I mean, third down on both sides of the ball was an issue on Sunday. The offense was, was one for nine, but the defense allowed nine third down conversions. Um, I mentioned this in the piece I wrote this morning, but the, the CBS play-by-play guy had mentioned that the commanders had gone nine straight games um, without allowing more than four third down conversions. And the bills had that, they had five midway through uh, the second quarter. Now, a lot of that is Josh Allen and Washington is not going to see a lot of quarterbacks who can do the things that Josh Allen can do um, the rest of the season. Um, but just his, his ability to get out of the pocket, that first drive, even a ridiculous throw with, with Montez Sweat on his heel to Stephon Diggs for a first down and a 14-yard scramble for a first down. It, it was tough to watch. And then I think another big key to that game, on the one drive when Washington was knocking on the door and, and turned the ball over on downs, you know, that's where you expect the defense to, to make a stop and you know, get the ball back, pin Buffalo deep, um, and give the ball back to Sam Howell and company in great field position. And instead, the Bills converted three third downs and – and took 10 minutes off the clock with a 15-play field goal drive. Hey, the uh, column that Scott was referring to, folks, uh, is available for you to read, and it's great. Do it every Monday morning, WashingtonPost.com slash sports, and he does his hail and fail, the good and the bad for the commanders. I appreciate and, it. Yeah, but, but Scott, you got to look uh, far and wide to find your hail uh, this week. <laughs> yes. And obviously the, the field goal, you know, and you can debate whether they ever should have kicked that field goal. I guess, it, I guess it helped Cameron Cheeseman's confidence, if nothing else, because he had a good snap. And then your only other hail. Right. And a spoiler alert, I want people to go to the website, obviously, and read it, is that maybe Arizona isn't as bad as we thought they were. That's a real silver lining you got going there, Scott. <laughs> some days, you know, some games are tougher than others to find hails. And, you know, some days it's tough to find fails. Um, but this one, yeah, it was it was kind of a reach with the points and the, and the Cardinals win. And then I had to dip into, you know, giving credits to Bills and, you know, <laughs> Hometown hero Stefan Diggs for the other two hails yesterday. <laughs> well, I guess if you're watching it, it, it could have been worse, right? You could have been Denver or you could have been Jacksonville. Um, that's right. You, know, you could have been the Chicago Bears. I, I guess that's yeah, uh, small consolation. It's, it's huh? something, right? And, and, <laughs> and without that field goal that you mentioned, um, and this is in the piece too, I thought it was insane that, you know, if they had lost 37 to nothing, you're looking at the worst for the – the most lopsided home loss in 75 years, going back to a 45 nothing defeat uh, by the Eagles in 1948, which, which would have been crazy. 
What do you think this does to the vibe that had been created through the first couple of weeks and through preseason and training camp and the new ownership and, and all of that? What do you think that does to the vibe of, you know, hopefully the rebuilding of the fan base? Yeah, I mean, it's certainly a hit to it. It knocks it down maybe a level or two, but, you know, this place, <laughs> the, the the city, the vibe would have been just off the charts if they had managed to beat Buffalo. And I think, you know, Ron Rivera referred to it as a measuring stick game, and I think it was, you know, they proved that, you know, they're a few inches, if not a few feet shy of being mentioned in the same category as the Bills. And it was humbling. I think it was a, a reality check. And, you know, overall, I think fans should still feel pretty good about this team. I mean, one of the main goals of the season, I think, is to figure out whether you have a quarterback in Sam Howell. And, and I don't think that you can decide that off of four games. And, and certainly it's too early, I think, to to even consider making a move at quarterback. So, yeah, the vibe took a, took a major hit. Uh, Sunday, but in terms of measuring stick games, you got another one coming up against the Eagles, and you just look back to last year when when Washington somehow managed to hand the Eagles their first loss of the season on Monday Night Football. So they've shown an ability under Ron Rivera to to bounce back and and play up to their competition. Uh, They didn't do that yesterday, but uh, another chance in Philadelphia in a week. Well, we'll see what their bounce-back ability is like, and they will catch the Eagles on a little bit of a short week because Philly is playing tonight, and I don't think Ron Rivera is going to be calling games litmus tests or measuring no. sticks. He should anytime. probably retire that. Yeah, pro- for the time being, put that one on the back, on the back shelf. You and I can say things like that, but sure. I, don't, I don't think as the head coach he's going to do that. Great, great stuff as always, uh, Scott. Great stories as well in the Washington Post. Always appreciate you joining us and doing some Monday afternoon quarterbacking with us and Look forward to doing it again real soon. Sounds good, Bob. Thanks so much. Thanks, Scott. Scott Allen from the Washington Post. Yeah, if you get a chance, uh, go online and take a look at that. You know, they've got their, um, you know, uh, takeaways from the game, four takeaways from the game, and I I do enjoy his hail or fail column each week. And, again, uh, I'm not so sure when he thought that one up, if he thought it would be that difficult to find the hail for uh, the Washington Commanders, even in the bad times. I mean, this was was about as as bad as – as it kind of gets, there was way more fail than there was hail. And as Scott pointed out, most of the hail was directed at the Buffalo Bills, not the Washington Commanders. All right, bottom of the hour. So that's one team that had a bad game in our area that we can put away. Since it's a Monday, and it's kind of a dreary Monday out there at the moment, actually, as well, we'll take a break and we'll come back and get into the dreariness that is the Virginia Cavaliers and the Virginia Tech Hokies right now both of whom came away with disappointing losses over the weekend as well eventually we'll get to the positive stuff if you would like to steer me in that direction by all means 804-327-0888-327-0888 get you on the air with us it's also our text line it's also our contest giveaway line and we do have tickets to richmond spiders football this week that's a little bit more on the positive side after their gutty gritty win at stony brook on a wet and windy 
Saturday afternoon up there on Long Island. We have tickets to their home game this Saturday against Hampton at Robbins Stadium. Two o'clock, we'll give them away a little bit later and during the course of the week as well. All right, break at the bottom of the hour. Come back on the other side. We'll go to the college game, Virginia and Virginia Tech. Coming up when we come back, Sports Huddle, 1061 ESPN. Last season came to an abrupt end for your favorite squad in the NL East. This year's Brave squad is poised to rectify the past and bring home a second World Series title in three years. Hear every moment with us here on your exclusive home for the Atlanta Braves in Richmond. 1061 ESP. bit more positive shall we on a monday afternoon and i got a couple of ways we're going to do that one is by going to one of our favorite callers here in just a bit don't push that button just yet aj because let me give you a little bit more positivity coming up on the show tomorrow afternoon well first of all matt and i are going to do mashup tuesday i know there's no alliteration there because it's normally mashup monday but he's off today. So it'll be mashup Tuesday in the 4 o'clock hour when we cross border to border and the sports huddle. But our guest at 4.30, 24 hours from now, in fact, uh, I mentioned this back in the summertime. Patrick Henry High School is just now starting an Athletics Hall of Fame. I'm not sure why they had to wait this long to start their Athletics Hall of Fame. Uh, kudos to our guy Rob Witham, who I know is heavily involved in this, and Ross Luck from Luck Chevrolet for spearheading this and getting it started. But Thursday night at the Hanover Golf Club up there in Ashland, they will induct their first-ever Patrick Henry Athletics Hall of Fame, and they have a long, long tradition-rich history of athletics. And one of the first inductees in the first class of inductees at Patrick Henry will be none other than Damian Woody, the former NFL standout, played his college ball at Boston College, um, and is now obviously on ESPN. We see him, you know, all the time. He's got himself a couple of Super Bowl rings that he won with the Patriots. All of that. Damian Woody, who attended Patrick Henry High School, is part of that first class to be inducted and Damian's going to join us tomorrow afternoon live at 4.30 on this program. So we do hope you'll tune in for that. Really looking forward to talking with him about his days at Patrick Henry, his time in the NFL, the Super Bowls, being a pro bowler. And if uh, Belichick would have called a field goal kick. <laughs> yes, and we'll ask him if Bill Belichick would have called for the field goal to set the record. That's a great that's a great question, AJ. We will ask Damian Woody about that uh, tomorrow. So he joins us at 4.30 tomorrow afternoon as part of the first Patrick Henry High School uh, Athletics Hall of Fame class. The other inductees, uh, and certainly one of these names is near and dear to me, several of them are, but this one particularly, uh, Ray Tate who was an outstanding high school football player and other sports, as a matter of fact, uh, track and field, baseball, uh, you know, all of that at Patrick Henry, and then went on to an outstanding career at the University of Richmond and then was an assistant coach at Richmond. And then somehow he put up with Bob Black in the broadcast booth for 20 seasons. 
Uh, we lost him way too early, but he is going in posthumously. Um, so I'm really thrilled b- about that, that, that Ray is going into the Patrick Henry Hall of Fame because next to the University of Richmond, there wasn't anything that uh, athletically that he liked more or loved more than uh, Patrick Henry athletics and talking about uh, Patrick Henry. So Ray Tate going in, uh, Eddie Webb, Ray Long, um, the highly successful head football coach there at Patrick Henry, took him to many, many championships. Sonia Freedy-Kinney, uh, track and field and gymnastics standout. Donnie Morris played several sports there. Uh, Dominic Smith was a basketball football star at Patrick Henry. And Lizzie powell Hissy, uh, track and field standout. So that's the class going in Thursday night for Patrick Henry's first Athletics Hall of Fame class. And again, tomorrow at 4.30, Damian Woody. I think you could argue is the headliner of that class. All due respect to Ray Tate and Eddie Webb and Ray Long and all of the others that are going in. But uh, we'll have Damian Woody on with us tomorrow at 4.30. All right, right now, it just passed 4.30. Also to bring a ray of sunshine to our otherwise cloudy Monday, Reggie joins us at 804-327-0888. Man, I'm excited about that class. Uh, Ask Mr. Damian Woody about playing the piano. Brother is a, is a classic piano player. You know I that, don't you, Bob? I, I think yeah. I knew that, but I needed you to remind me of that because I probably would not have remembered that. So thank you, Reggie. And if you could, tell me how you'd be slapping Steve A. Smith around. <laughs> <laughs> that would not be a fair fight, by the way. No, nah, I mean verbally, not physically, verbally. He intellectually disarmed well, Stephen Mouse Smith. So here's the deal. Here's the deal, Reggie. Physically, that yes, would not sir. be a fair fight in Damian Woody's direction. Verbally, I'm not sure it's a fair fight in Stephen A. Smith's direction. Either way, brother can handle himself. But yeah, he can. You know, Bob, um, there's a site called HBCU Go. HBCUGo.com. This past Saturday, you had the all-time winners coach and the CIAA coach, Woodard Bailey, as well as the Hall of Famer, Coach Joe Taylor, with Charlie Neal on TV this past Saturday. And they talked about the difference between HBCU football programs and also the history of what these two illustrious individuals talked about. So that was on um, HBCU.com, and it's on uh, other networks as far as cable systems. So I was just saying nationally and locally, we had two great individuals talking about sports. But unfortunately, Virginia Union kind of ran to a buzzsaw with the defending CIAA champ. Fairville State and Coach Hayes came up here and took the Willis Belly Trophy home back down I-95. And it was kind of raining, kind of cold. But Virginia State took care of business with Dr. Frazier in the drenched um, game this past week with Livingstone. But, Bob, Towson State, what's what's their problem? I was shocked <laughs> old uh, Norfolk State got them. I was like, I thought Towson had a pretty decent football team. I don't know if they do or they don't, Reggie, because even as close as they are to us regionally, Richmond hasn't played them in what seems like a decade. So I haven't paid uh-huh. that much attention to Towson football, which is a dumb thing to say because they're in the same conference. But we just haven't seen them. And if you can figure out Norfolk State, please do, because they've had some head-scratching <laughs> losses and they've had some eye-opening wins, including Towson. Uh-huh. I don't know what Coach Oldham is doing. Maybe the guys kind of looked like when Virginia State came up and took care of business, and then they 
win the other games. I, I don't know, but we'll see when um, conference play comes. But I, 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 I got to say, I'm still riding with Coach Prime. All I got to say is the coach of Oregon at the end of the year. Oh, and Notre Dame. Wow. Talk about a exciting game. I know Irish George is shaking his head, but sometimes some teams just have the dog in them, and Ohio State just, wow. That was, that was, a, that was one of the most exciting games I've seen in a long time, especially where it finished. But, boy, a big-time mistake by Notre Dame's defense and Notre Dame's coaches. And Coach Freeman's really on the defensive the last 48 hours to only have 10 guys on the field, not only for one play, but for two plays. Somebody's got to see that. And then for Ohio State to literally run the ball right to the spot where that 11th guy was missing, let's give Ohio State some credit because they figured it out when Notre Dame couldn't. That was a major faux pas by Notre Dame. Hey, give him credit. Bob, maybe I'm wrong what I'm about to say, but I think Virginia has the wrong coach on the football team. I'm sorry. And what I saw, the undisciplined, taking your helmet off, shoving the guy in the last 30 seconds of the game, and it, 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 it was just – I just shook my head. I, well, I think they should have got an experienced head coach for that school. And I think they picked the wrong coach as far as head football coach. I'm well, sorry. You're, you're, don't, don't be sorry. That's your opinion. And you're almost taking the words right out of my mouth, Reggie, because I watched that Friday night and I was Whoa. so shocked at the lack of discipline that they showed at the end of the game. I also didn't like some of the decision-making that he made on a couple of fourth-down calls, one particularly in the second half of the game in the fourth quarter of that game in which they could have taken the lead. Um, I, I'm not quite ready to push the envelope where you just pushed it, but I'm coming pretty close. I am. I keep trying. I keep. I like. You know. It, he seems like a good guy, and he certainly knows football. And he was a winner with everybody at Clemson. And obviously, they went through something last year that nobody should ever have to go through. And I'm kind of giving him a little bit of a flyer because of that. But man, what I saw Friday night was damning. To be honest with you, they might not win a game this year. Look at the schedule, Bob. I don't think they're going to win one. Well, they got Boston College next and then William and & Mary, and I'm certainly not disrespecting William & Mary. I mean, they're unbeaten, and they're in the top five in the FCS, but they're still FCS going to Charlottesville. But those are their next two games, and it might be their best chances for wins in their next two games. Hey, if, I, if I'm a certain coach at William & Mary who used to coach there, I'm not looking my chop. No doubt. I'm saying, hey. No doubt. Absolutely. And he'll never yeah, say that. Mike London, Mike London. No, Mike London will never say that, of course. But, yes. No, he's a class act. Yep. But I'm saying it. <laughs> yep. And, well, you can. All right. Well, Reg, thanks. Appreciate the call. I'm going to take a break here because I want to come back and pick up on that. Uh, I mean, I was just so dismayed. And, look, I'm not a huge Virginia fan necessarily, but we cover them. And it's great when they are successful and win because it makes what we do better as well. But, boy, was I dismayed with what I saw Friday night. And, look, I was watching that game with other folks on a football team and talked about it with other folks Saturday morning as part of a football team because I was with Richmond getting ready for their game up at Stony Brook. So there were a lot of good football people who were shaking their heads about what happened to UVA on Friday night. I don't just mean coaches. I mean just other people 
involved uh, with with football, and it just it boggled my mind. We'll talk more about it, which is not a hard thing to do with my mind, but it was still boggled nonetheless. Talk about it next on the Sports Channel. Their second straight playoff appearance out of the CAA. Follow them on their quest every step of the way. Here on your home for the Richmond Spiders, 1061 ESPN. AJ promised a rant earlier and picking a bone. And I don't know. I was a little underwhelmed, AJ. I was a little underwhelmed, but I'm not going to be here. It's I'm, Monday. It is. Uh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to rant and, and pick the bone here. And it's, it's nothing that hasn't already been written and said. But as soon as it happened, I was like, man, Monday afternoon, they've just given me my narrative. They've given me my material for Monday afternoon. They had this game won. And if ever there was a game you would hope Virginia would want to win, it would have been this one against NC State when you've got Brandon Armstrong coming back and all the hullabaloo over that. And you actually did a pretty good job against him defensively. And you would certainly want to win that game. And there was Virginia at the end ready to win that game. And they commit three of the most egregious, undisciplined penalties that you could possibly commit. And it reflects on everybody. The players who committed him, who committed the penalties, the coaches, the teammates. It's just, it's so frustrating. So they score the touchdown with half a minute to go in the game to get within two. And Ty Furnish, who is an outstanding offensive lineman, he's been at Virginia a while now, he's a veteran guy, gets involved in a little fracas with one of the defensive linemen with NC State, and Ty Furnish winds up headbutting him. So he kind of let his temper get the better of him, and whether he started it or not, it just can't happen, especially a veteran guy in that situation. And, of course, the officials saw that. You always see the second guy, right? So now you get a 15-yard penalty, and you need a two-point conversion to tie the game. Now, all props to Virginia, because somehow they figured out a way, and some of this was luck, but it was also a really good play by Malachi Fields, particularly, going up in the air, 50-50 ball in the end zone, and bringing it down. Kudos to him. Uh, The pass was where it needed to be, for Fields to catch it, I'll say that, but it was just kind of lobbed up there by the freshman, Anthony Calandria, who I think has a bright future at UVA. You know, he's got some stuff to clean up just in his physical football play and decision-making, but I do think he's an exciting young quarterback who could be just what Virginia needs offensively uh, for several years to come now, and he is a freshman. Okay, so he makes this pass. They needed an 18-yard two-point conversion, and they got it. As Calandria makes the pass, he gets hit. He's falling to the turf. His helmet starts to come off. It did not come off. It started to come off. Calandria had two choices. He could have pulled it back down and back down on his head, or he could have done what he did, and that was rip it off. And at that moment, Right then and there, the official has no choice 
but to throw the flag because the rule is as clear as day. It's been around a while. Every team in America goes over it in summer camp and probably during the season as well. You do no celebrating. You don't take your helmet. Unless you're hurt, you do not take your helmet off your head until you get to the sideline. And the officials flagged him for that. There's your second unsportsmanlike conduct penalty. And look, he did much worse after he took the helmet off. So now he pops up and he gives that Superman, muscle man pose with his helmet off. It's on national TV. The camera is right on him. Everybody in America who's watching that game sees it. The officials said they threw the flag because he took his helmet off. And that is certainly accurate. But I would say this. If they had missed him taking his helmet off and hadn't thrown a flag yet, they would have thrown it when he made the pose because it was out there for everybody to see, and he still didn't have his helmet on. So that's the second one. Again, just undisciplined, especially for a freshman quarterback. I understand you're excited in that situation, but you've got to have more poise, even as an 18- or 19-year-old freshman, to get to the sideline before you celebrate. Keep that helmet on. So that's number two. So now they've got to kick off from the 20-yard line. And NC State gets an excellent return, gets it back into Virginia territory uh, at the 48 or 49-yard line. They're able to run the clock down to kick a potential game-winning field goal. But it was a really difficult one still. It wasn't a chip shot. It was a 48-yarder that they kicked to try and win the game, and it gets blocked. But the kid who blocked it, James Jackson, the linebacker, took a running start and went leaping over the center, the long snapper for NC State. Two things that you should absolutely know, and I'm sure you have been coached not to do. And I had this conversation with the Richmond coaches on Saturday morning, and they're like, look, the rule is clear. You have to be within one yard of the line of scrimmage, and you can leap, but you can't leap over the center or touch the center on your jump. And look, it came back to happen in the Richmond game later that day. And the spider kid, a true freshman, Matthew Trainer, did it exactly textbook as taught. One yard within the line of scrimmage, leaps over the guard, who in Stony Brook's case never saw it coming. I don't know what he was doing. He looked like a statue. And he just kind of let Trainer use him as a springboard. And he leaped over him and blocked a point after touchdown, which proved to be significant in the Richmond game. But you cannot run. He was almost in a linebacker's position. Look, he is a linebacker, Jackson is. So maybe he just lined up in his defensive position and took a running start and went right over the center and blocked it, blocked the field goal. But that's an absolute no-no. Should know it. Coaches should teach it. Should n- There's no reason to do it. Right for the officials. Easy call. Move the ball up 15 yards, and it's like a chip shot um, for NC State to win the game. Uh, You can't have any of those three infractions happen. So I'm with Reggie. It it just looks bad. It reflects badly on a team that's trying to get its footing about itself and try and do some good things. There were some good things that they did. Malik Washington was tremendous as a wide receiver, the transfer from Northwestern. And I I think Calandria had a good game. And their defense played pretty well, actually, against Brennan Armstrong. So there were some positives. But those three plays are negatives that I just don't think you can overcome. Uh, I I don't even think there's any, any argument about those three. 
where I do think we can have a little back and forth, and maybe we will after the top of the hour, is on the fourth down decisions that Tony Elliott made. One time to go for it when he probably shouldn't, and one time when he kicked the field goal, in which I think absolutely he should have gone for it um, and didn't, and we now know the result, and NC State comes away with a win, and Virginia's still looking for its first victory of the season. Head-shaking stuff for the Cavaliers. Wasn't a whole lot better for Virginia Tech in their loss at Marshall as well. We can get into that and certainly want to get onto the positive side of things in the Commonwealth with JMU, with Richmond, with William Mary, with VMI getting a Southern Conference win. All good stuff on the positive side on the college football front in our area. All of that and more coming up in the 5 o'clock hour of the Sports Huddle Sports Center update first, and then we're back on 106.1 ESPN. Turn to Hernan Allen Plumbing, Heating, and